Hello and welcome to Plastic Platforms, episode 13, where me and Centurion shoot the shit about many different topics. I met Centurion quite a long time ago. He's one of the first friends I had in the content creator game spaces, and it's it's a podcast that's working, it's fun. Uh, every two weeks we, we get together and have a chat, but this week we actually have a rare appearance. We actually invited Luke Steele on to be a guest uh, as well, so I'll, 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 I'll get on to Luke in a minute. But how are you doing, Centurion? Oh, pretty good, man. Um, just God. Oh, oh, hang on. Now I'm getting feedback. There we go. I heard you twice. <laughs> yeah. oh, so, anyways, I'm doing pretty good, man. Uh, just been hanging out all weekend, uh, chilling with the wife, playing some games. Um, you haven't heard yet, but I guess is now greatest time. Uh, if you haven't tuned into TXR or uh, Gaming Beyond the Box to hear uh, hear me say it yet, yeah, um, Stubbs, but I got back into Destiny. Fuck yes! <laughs> Let's go! <laughs> nah, Crusade, yes! Crusader got me off I've, that I, I, ledge. I, I, I haven't had chance to catch up with them yet. I've been struck into recently with podcasts, so I've missed that news. So yeah. Nope. Sorry if I blew someone's eardrums out. <laughs> nope, I've been. I finally I finished up the dreaming, grinding out the dreaming city. At least all the story missions. Now all there's left is just the doing the repetitive stuff over and over again. And I've moved on to the Shadow Keep, um, the Shadow Keep uh, expansion. Uh, I'm doing everything on the moon now, and then after that, I will basically start doing Beyond Light. And I don't know anything past Shadow Keep, so. I'm actually excited after, once I get past Shadow Keep to do Beyond Light and then to uh, do the Witch Queen and be caught up. But I, it, Crusader got me off that that ledge awesome. because I, that I found is. he he explained to me they're going to stop vaulting content and they're yes. trying to figure out how to bring the content back into the game now that they've stabilized the game engine and they can get the game into a larger size without having all the the game breaking bugs and unoptimization take place from the game getting too large so uh i was just like all right well if they've stabilized it i'll give it one last shot but i mean like if if they muck this up this time i mean god i mean like the way everybody feels like feels about 343 lately i'll feel that way about bungie that's fair enough. I'm, I, I am a bit surprised because when I told you I was getting back into Destiny, you were like uh, giving me commiserations. Uh, why did you do that? And uh, you shouldn't be wasting your time and stuff. So I have, I'm, I'm not alone. My <laughs> my bro here in Phoenix joined me on the whole venture. We both bought the Witch Queen expansion, and uh, we both started new characters. I'm lucky enough Ooh. that Crusader. You can, bo you can boost up, can't you? I already see that's the funny part. I already did. Like it's I didn't even do it intentionally. I went on to the helm and I found some armor and yep. I was like, oh, this Based is up. really cool armor. And I put it on and all of a sudden it's like you're 1540. Well shit. Didn't you that, realize that? that? What? That you can boost straight up even for new players. Yeah, you can well, you can boost up to 1540 and then the last 60 points. Yeah, it's the soft cap, and then after that, it's that 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 slow burn grind. And I mean, I've been doing it now for like, I mean, I've been doing, I would like to say I'm not grinding it out, but I've been playing actually pretty enthusiastically and I'm only at like 1542, 1543. 
So, uh, yeah, definitely it is a slow grind to get to 1600. It's fair. I mean, uh, the new expansion doesn't even come out till March next year. So, you've got plenty of time. Oh, no. I, I even I even bought the season pass so that way I could start getting all the because I was like, you have like 90 some days left of the season. I'm like, well, okay, fine. If there's that much time left, I might as well have the season pass. Yeah. I've got to get back on it. I haven't played, I haven't played many games this week. Um, I've got to get back on it. I've got loads to do. I've got to get Witch Queen done though. It was weird getting back on Destiny because I went over to the clan page and I was I was still at the time part of the BG4G Hub clan. Oh, really? Yeah, but you could tell oh. nobody hadn't logged on in forever. So I, I I basically dropped out of the clan and that's when Crusader hit me up and brought me into the fold with his group and they run a pretty cool group over there, a very large group, and they're very friendly. Oh, so that's good to hear. Good to hear you liking Destiny again. And the guest today is Luke Steele. Uh, I've got him on for this special podcast because there's been a lot of talk about the CMA, uh, Microsoft, Activision, Blizzard, King deal in the media, podcasts, etc. And Luke works in the M&A field and uh, he just to get some insight from someone who's has worked with uh, worked uh, with the CMA before in deals he's had to help with, and so on. Uh, sorry, Luke, you, I'm probably butchering it. I think you could do a better job there. So, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it's there or thereabouts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah thank you very much. Yeah, happy, very happy to be here and. Uh, yeah, keeps on giving uh, the CMA stuff, doesn't it? So, uh, yeah, it's really interesting, I guess. Um, but yes, background, I guess, broadly is I am a M&A lawyer. Uh, so um, I do deal with this stuff quite often. Uh have done with the CMA in the past uh, and other regulatory competition authorities as well. So, um, yeah, I have experience in it and it's... it's uh, it's a rare chance to talk about it in a gaming context, which is quite nice. Oh, yeah, definitely is. It's uh, it keeps cropping back up. I was hoping that uh, the CMA were going to give their decision on whether they're going to phase two before this show, but it's not mm. to be. It's not. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I'm sure maybe we'll before, hear soon. Maybe before midweek gaming on Wednesday. Who knows? Yeah. Not to uh, <laughs> interrupt, but Luke, do you run a YouTube channel or anything like on like? Are you familiar with Richard Hogue with like virtual legality? Oh yeah, yeah. I've uh, interacted with with Hogue uh, a few times. Uh, I, I don't run a YouTube channel. I don't know how how Hogue Law does it um, because I just d- I do not have the time. Even though it'd be something that would be really cool, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, I always try and listen to some of his stuff. It's always quite interesting uh, from a US perspective, obviously, um, to hear his thoughts on this uh, and stuff. And um, yeah. All right. I was just curious because I know, like, um, I was just curious to see if you did run your own YouTube channel to see if you're ever like speaking on. Because yeah, you even kind of hit the nail on the head. Richard Richard Hoke is able to uh, do the uh, the whole opinion and insight on the American side of things, but there's not really not a a dedicated channel you can tune into that basically kind of gives the take on the UK side of things. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. It would be nice to do that one day. I think. If you weren't so busy, Luke, 
if you weren't so busy. Yes, busy that's, that's the problem. If I wasn't so busy, uh, like I said, I don't know how how Ho does it. It's my, my hat off to him because it's very impressive. We just want to do a few shout outs in chat. Thanks for um, being first in chat to a friendly pest. Dreadpool, UK Dazarus, and BG4G. Daz, you know what BG4GHub.com was. Yeah, I think he's winding us up, Centurion. <laughs> and yes, I agree, Daz. Pineapple what? and pizza. And I, and I agree. And I agree, Daz. Pineapple and pizza. Do you agree, Luke? Or not? Do I agree that it's good or bad? Whichever. Do you like it? Whichever. Or <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't agree with that. I don't oh, like it. Uh, no, cerebral it's too much pool. sweet on oh. savoury. Not for me. Well, cerebral Paul will be happy with your midweek gaming. I will tell him. Good. He'll be happy. I'm the mm-hmm. rogue. Good. I love some pineapple on pizza. Oh, I do. Yeah. Oh, I do. Yeah. So. Have you been playing many games, uh, Luke? I know you you play more. You play quite <clears> a few games, you do. Yeah, well, um, I mean, not as many as I would like. I think there's a lot out at the moment, and obviously it's getting the time. But I guess at the minute, what am I playing? Um, I'm playing mostly The Last of Us Part 1 remake still, uh, kind of edging through that quite slowly. Um, I've just got Splatoon 3. Uh, but I haven't actually okay. played it yet, so that's that's not good. Um, but I will do. Uh, and then I'm still playing some indie games like Call of the Lamb and uh, Roller Drum as well. So, uh, but the actual amount of time given to to those is is a bit less at the minute. So I'm hoping next couple of weeks uh, things will settle down a bit and I can actually play, you know, for an extended amount of time rather than just half an hour here and there. Good to hear. Well, um, it's always hard fitting games in, to be honest, a lot of the time, isn't it? Especially when you're busy. It's yeah, the only the only one I managed to fit in from start to finish, like I actually completed the game over the last couple of weeks, was Immortality, um, which oh, is okay. an indie game on Game Pass. Um, yeah. It's also on, on PC as well. I think it's on Game Pass for PC as well. Um uh, which is an amazing game, probably one, probably my, maybe my favourite game of the year so far, actually. Um, oh, really? So, oh. yeah, um, but that's a nice one. It, you know, it was only about maybe six to eight hours, something like that. You can uh, you, technically you could get through it quicker than that, I guess, depending on how you discover the story. But uh, yeah, absolutely love that. So I'd recommend anybody with Game Pass go out and, and play that game. Nice. What kind of game is it? Is it? Um... What style game yeah. is it? It's um so it's one of Sam Barlow's games who um made uh, his first game uh, developed uh, under his creative direction was called Her Story and then he made a second game um, called Telling Lies and they're basically uh, FMV games ah, so sir. they are um, all story driven um, yeah. and it's effectively in each of the games there is you have are given video clips and some method of interacting with those clips and you have to figure out what happens to someone in them or, or oh. you have to decipher a mystery essentially so 
yeah. So that explains something because I booted up telling lies because you were talking about it. Yeah, and I couldn't couldn't get it. I was it, you, you load up a bloody com- you go on the computer and you yes. look at dating, yeah, in telling look at dating, lies. dating dating clips. Uh, yes, and I just can't work out. Is it all done through that computer? The whole game? Yes, yes. Oh. So immortality is different in that. Uh, it's not for a computer terminal. You're effectively given an old-fashioned computer, uh, an old-fashioned film reel, or a bunch of film oh, reels, okay. and you start off with a single clip, um, which is an interview uh, with an actress called Marissa Marcel, and yep. you have to basically uncover the mystery of what happened to her through these clips. But as I say, you start off with one clip and the way that you find other clips is not through a search function or anything like a computer terminal or anything like like telling lies. You had to input like search terms on the computer and then it would come up with clips, etc. On this, you can pause the scene at any one time. You can rewind and go forward and you can also do something they call match cut, which is you press Y on, on an Xbox controller and you can select an object on the scene, let's say I don't know, a coffee cup and press A and it will zoom in on that object, but in a different clip. So it effectively unlocks, you unlock clips by, you know, searching for objects or things um, in one clip to the next until you eventually uncover, you know, there's maybe 150 clips overall. You don't need to find them all to finish it, but um, you kind of piece together the story in your own mind off of that so it's actually one of the all of these games you tend to actually need something like a notepad with you to write down you know interesting points yeah. or or maybe you want to piece it together on paper um but um yeah so it's it's a really different type of game nobody makes them apart from san barlow but i would highly recommend them i'll give it another go then telling lies then i can see about immortality i will because uh they're pretty similar-ish, by the sounds yep. of it. So, get into this topic, we will. Um, so, obviously, when Microsoft, sorry, the CMA said they had concerns about the Microsoft acquiring Activision Blizzard King, um, the internet exploded. Uh, podcast did. There was a lot of narratives etc people not understanding i've just brought luke on to like because he has experience in how the cma operate etc and i said what luke luke do sony work in partnership with the cma (laughs) (laughs) that's certainly something i've heard a lot of Uh, uh, no no no, nobody does but but there we go so um do you want to like add context for people what the cma does and about this sony situation because i know you you, you, you're quite uh, versed in this topic you are yeah sure i mean i can give a uh, a sort of overview i guess um yeah i mean the basic stuff pretty much everybody knows it's nothing really like i can add you know cma are the competition authority here in the united kingdom the regulator um, they investigate a lot of things, but one of the main things they investigate um, is mergers and acquisitions that are uh, effectively that effectively trigger certain thresholds under the relevant laws. Um, 
those are always by reference to revenue in the UK. So if you have a certain amount, if basically one or more entities in the merger has a certain amount of revenue um, in the UK, it becomes notifiable to the CMA. Um, you're not actually obligated to notify, funnily enough. You could potentially do your deal without the CMA. But if the CMA decide to retrospectively investigate and decide that you should have notified it, it causes a real bunch of pain, uh, really bad, really bad pain um, to to the deal that you've done, uh, where you effectively can be stopped from, uh, you know, carrying on certain business functions while the CMA investigates. So, so nobody does that. Um, although it does very occasionally happen uh, when someone's been given wrong advice, usually from lawyers, albeit not me. Um, about uh, whether their their merger is notifiable or not. So um, okay. So in any case, obviously here, uh, not surprisingly, um, Microsoft and Activision have notified the CMA. Um, the CMA have done a phase one investigation, which is their first stage, obviously by the name. Um, that is a usually kind of eight week ish investigation. They do gather a lot of information and documentation from the relevant parties for that. So Microsoft and Activision. Um, there's also a public consultation period where members of the public and obviously interested competitors, etc., can give their their thoughts and opinions on everything. Um, and then they produce basically what they did the other day, which is. Um, they have to look and see, is there a realistic possibility of a substantial lessening of competition from the merger? Um, that is, for context, quite a low threshold. Um, it's not particularly high, so a lot of cases can trigger phase two. Uh, not all do. Uh, I think it's generally the proportion of phase uh, of cases that are approved after phase one is higher than, than ones that go to phase two. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, then, then essentially, after this, obviously, as people have seen, um, they have raised what you know, in their opinion, some concerns. Um, and we're waiting to see if Microsoft slash Activision want to offer some undertakings, essentially, to the CMA to assuage some of those concerns. Um, if they don't, or if they haven't already, because the deadline's already up. But if they haven't, or yeah. they have offered undertakings the CMA doesn't like, then it goes to phase two review, which is much more intensive review uh, that takes um, about 24 weeks to come to a conclusion on. Um, so that's that's kind of where we are now. We're in that process, in that waiting period between phase one and phase two to see what's, what's going to happen. Well, it will be interesting. It will be... Um... I just wanted to ask this question. Well, I don't know if you know. Centurion sent me a video earlier. It turns out um, certain people that, <laughs> You're um, that <laughs> I'm not gonna, I'm not naming names, but no, we don't got to name names. I'm just shocked Sony, that people are doing this. Sony fans are. I just wanted to ask this question. I know it's a stupid question, but I, I don't. <laughs> you, you mentioned public, public as well. So say yes. you are a person who isn't happy with this deal and you prefer yes. a certain platform, yeah? Uh-huh. Now, then they're sending forms in or emails or whatever. <laughs> yes. Would the CMA actually... So say you were living in America and you had an issue. Uh-huh. Would the CMA log your details as a complaint or would you have to be like a UK resident for them to log it? Do they actually note <laughs> any of that down or just delete it? 
What do they do? Uh, do they <laughs> I, I can't say I've ever actually comprehended someone doing that. Um, so it's I don't. I don't. I, so I don't know the answer. I mean, the answer would be, I guess. It's an open public consultation period. If you're from America, probably probably not, unless you have some tie right. to the UK. I don't if know you're where in the... this, this person's from, but I'm just, okay. I'm just asking if people globally try to yeah. do that. So, so you're no. saying that because my heritage, even though my heritage <laughs> is English in descent, I, I still don't have uh, the, the, the ability to write to the CMA and start complaining about stuff? <laughs> Well, you can write to them, but whether they actually log it is is another matter. I mean, if you're from the UK, if you you know, let's just say for purposes of this that someone's a UK resident and they've given their details and they lodge some opinion about this, then it would, in theory, be admitted into the kind of the documents that the CMA look at. But that's not to say that they would give it any attention whatsoever in terms of their analysis. Like they'll be relying on you know well not relying but they will give more you know actual credence to competitors or interested parties rather than you know joe joe public so what Stubbs is talking about is yeah we won't mention names but there was a guy that highlighted it on youtube um that a a sony fan came out on twitter making a public service announcement saying that all Sony fans need to send uh, emails. And the guy went through and found the the business emails to two individuals at the CMA and is requesting all Sony fans to basically start writing like emails to these two particular people. Individ um, uh, basically, he put it on Twitter, showing their email address and everything, stating that yeah. we need to email them and let them know that they should block the deal. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, that's just stupid. <laughs> hey, so, over here in the States, I mean, we had people writing letters to to our president trying to get the deal blocked. I'm not making that up. Yeah, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, look, the, the CMA say that it's, it's that, con when they say public consultation period, it's, it's not actually the public they're looking for. They even say that, they invite comments from interested parties. Now, when they say interested parties, they don't mean so, someone who owns a PlayStation with or a, an Xbox. People with a yeah. horse in the race, you know, people yeah, part of the exactly. industry. Yeah, that's that's what they mean. So, uh, yeah, they would probably log these. I mean, for, yeah, I, I don't even know how they would deal with that, to be you're honest. Just, you're just so the, yeah. shocked and dumbfounded, right? You're like, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just bonkers. It's just totally bonkers. <laughs> just, just under it, yeah. See, see, that's why I didn't pre-warn Luke. I was going to ask that. So just see his actual reaction. That's why I didn't pre-warn. Man, yeah. there was a camera on that one, just for be like, well, wait know. a minute, people are actually doing this. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just crazy, isn't it? It's just, it's just crazy. Um, at least one thing to point out, because I mean, there's a lot of misguided information, and again, we're just here to have a discussion. We're not here to give out actual true hardened facts, other than you've been you're over there, you deal with the CMA. So you, you're going to know more than the average person. Um, the thing is though, is everybody keeps throwing these things in the air. It's CMA. It's the UK authorities. Why do they have any say so over two companies doing business in America? And like, like you said, it's them having a certain amount of revenue in the United Kingdom and having studios yeah. over in the United Kingdom. There's 
Microsoft has a large footprint over in the United Kingdom, and they have to answer to all the regulators in the regions that they deal with. But the reason why the CMA, at least from what I've read, is so important is because they, you like you said, those thresholds are very low to act to basically regard phase one because of the, the thresholds being so low. The CMA actually has some of the more tougher anti-competitive laws out of all the regulators in the world. And when it, it, it like, I guess when you read this stuff, like the rule of thumb for business merger acquisitions is you always gauge yourself on the region that has the harshest, the harshest regulators. And that's at one time, the FTC here in the United States was one, some of the harshest regulators in the world. But since the early 2000s, regulators have been taking a step back. They're not gauging business on as harsh of a level as the CMA does. And so the CMA has taken that number one spot as being some of the harshest regulators, which is why it, there's just so much focus on the CMA. Is is that where am I correct in thinking that? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I'd probably argue the EU are just as the EU Commission is is just as tough because effectively the prior to Brexit the um, the CMA and the EU's competition laws were essentially the same. Um, you still had to go through a CMA approval process um, if you met the relevant threshold, etc. But generally, the hardest one was the EU because the EU kind of well, obviously they operate across a huge market and they were always seen as the kind of gatekeeper as it were for a, tr a big transaction um so they've separated now obviously that the UK is no longer part of the EU and so the CMA is um kind of elevated to some extent in its role um but in another sense it's not really because it's its law is still um the same effectively as the EU competition law um but obviously, um, it can apply that law, I guess, in maybe different ways or to a to a different level of stringency than the EU. But certainly, EU well, CMA are you know the hardest anti-competitor regulators now, in the world. Read, as you read this stuff now, this is going down the political bandwash section, but. The EU is comes off as more politically driven. You actually have a little bit more lobbying involved in the EU, where the CMA, there isn't as much lobbying. Uh, they actually, are, it may be part of the UK government, but it's not like how they do it over here in the FTC, where they're politically appointed by yeah. the administration that's in control over here at the time. Um, which makes CMA kind of like a little bit of a rogue, because this isn't somebody that... Microsoft can just come out and be like, well, hey, we'll pay for your next campaign. The, the, the CMA yeah. isn't out there campaigning to be on the CMA. Um, and the big also thing that protects the CMA is they're like one of the, the world regulators that you just can't take them to court, as it said, sue them into the ground, as Stubbs refers to it as like oh, how you I do it over here in the yeah, well, it Even, was happening yeah. on the TXR chat last night. People yeah, were saying yeah, that they're just going to take them to court and sue them. Well, do you want to laugh? I was, I'm not saying which podcast, but Luke featured on a podcast a week or two ago. And he actually said that in words, easy words. And people in the chat were still saying, yeah, the CMA won't want the court case. Microsoft will crush them. And I was so, like, did you not just listen to what Luke just said? 
Well, see, it still takes place, I guess, in a courtroom per se for least. It's legal, but it's it's an appeals process. It's not like you're you're slapping them with a lawsuit and all this other stuff. It's you have to go through. I believe they're called CAT, the court, uh, the court of appeals or whatever it is over there. Luke, get me wrong. I know it's competition appeal tribunal. Okay, and basically they have a high threshold themselves to even trigger the appeal process you basically have to have a lot of documentation to show that the cma acted uh without taking certain things into consideration or basically it's a very large uphill battle to even to get the appeal the appeal the the cat group to even start the appeal process and if they start the appeal process and it takes place and everybody goes to court and the you know um the cma loses the court battle it's not like the cma is cut out of the picture the the appeals group will now make the cma undertake it again and basically go through and try to correct the errors that they made in their judgment but not at any time is the cma removed from the question yeah that's that's broadly right um the yeah cat would essentially analyze if there were any procedural issues with the CMA's analysis. So they do not, in any case, analyze the decision made by the CMA. Um, They purely analyze, did the CMA use its regulatory powers correctly and its powers of analysis and investigation in the correct way? If, as you say, if they determined that that wasn't the case, the a cat would not overturn the decision. They would just remit it back to the CMA and say, do it again or do this bit again. But if the CMA then came back and gave the same decision, cat wouldn't get involved anymore. Um, so they're not, at no point are they looking to um, reanalyze what has been done by the CMA in terms of the conclusions they've arrived at. It's purely have the CMA gone wrong somewhere in the in their analysis in the process of getting to that that conclusion effectively um it can then technically you can go to the court of appeal so you can go to court but again it's purely on procedural basis not substantive decisions so it's usually in for example usually go to the court of appeal or something goes to the court of appeal when for example the cma has reviewed a decision it has said that the deal should be blocked. Cat has then reviewed that and said, um, we agree. Uh, you can then effectively take the CMA to the Court of Appeal to say, no, we still think there's been some procedural issues here. Um, the only other place it really happens is if the CMA made a decision, they have blocked a deal. Cat has said, please go and look at the deal again, reanalyze it. The CMA do come to a different conclusion. Let's say they approve the deal. Then there are a few cases where um, the merger parties still take the CMA to court because they say that the CMA has committed a procedural failure that's led to you know some massive loss in terms of costs, and the CMA should be ordered to pay some costs because of the fact that you know they've gone wrong somewhere and delayed things by months, only to turn around and actually go, no, we were wrong. So, um, but that that's it. You never go to court in the UK. You can't sue the CMA, as you say. You can take them to a tribunal, but it's never on the 
on the basis of that decision. It's purely on procedural stuff. Um, and my final question is, so I've even heard on some podcasts uh, made uh, comments made by certain guys that basically if the CMA does move to block the deal, it's just something as simple as a fine and Microsoft pays a large absorbent fine. And then after that, it's business as usual. Uh, no, that's not what happens. There's kind of two reasons for that, essentially. So the first one is that there is, I, I would say there's a almost 0% chance that what the agreement between Microsoft and Activision says is that the deal is conditional upon either approval from competition regulators like the CMA or uh, only, you know, uh, approval from certain competition regulators. In every single, it's it's like standard form for every single sale and purchase agreement that you would do of this type, even smaller ones, much smaller, you know, given this is okay. $70, $70 billion, it's, it's, you put a condition in that says the deal is conditional upon relevant approval from competition authorities. Oh, so the, the, fa the fact is that if therefore your deal fails one competition regulator, and that was relevant, in other words, you had to, you had get, had to get approval from that competition re regulator, um, your deal collapses. That's it because you can't fulfill the conditions of your agreement. So this happened a few times with the CMA, also some in America, some in the EU, where, you know, the deal's been blocked, no undertakings have been uh, provided or accepted, uh, or some action has been asked by the regulator to approve the deal. And, and therefore, they haven't given approval. And the two companies have had to come out and say, look, sorry, but our deal was conditional on regulatory approval across the globe. This regulator hasn't approved it. It's dead. That's what happens actually most of the time in these circumstances. So happened with the NVIDIA arm deal, for example. Obviously, the CMA blocked it. But the reason it actually failed wasn't just because the CMA blocked it. It was because it triggered kind of the unfulfillment of conditions in in the in the contract so that's that's that wouldn't happen and even if you did somehow do that which would never happen as in even if you did somehow um get some condition in place that said uh, even if x authority fails to approve our deal or y authority fails to approve our deal we'll still proceed the parties wouldn't do it because the fine from the um from the CMA is, I think at last look, it was 1% of the global turnover, up to 1% of the global turnover of the companies involved. Now that doesn't sound like a lot, 1%, but when you're talking about Microsoft and Activision, that's a lot of money. They would never, they would never want to pay that. And that can just keep lasting effectively. Um, it also is really, really bad form in terms of, you know, outward facing business ethics. Um, to just ignore what regulators say, um, you can. There are other, you know, things the CMA can do, but the main one is a fine. Um, obviously, they could take companies to court as well to get them to be a stops from actually, you know, continuing business functions. Um, so they have pretty wide powers. I mean, that's pretty common for most regulators, most competition regulators in the world. But, but yeah, the, the first reason that would never happen is because that's not how these agreements are drafted. Like, the, it just doesn't happen that way. Um, 
So I don't know if that answers the question, but I guess it kind of stops there. Well, it basically just gets gets rid of the simple idea of this is just something that money can make go away. Yeah, definitely not. Definitely not. You there, Stubbs? Yeah, I am. Okay. No. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Thanks, Claire. I didn't actually. I didn't. I didn't know that was in the uh, the, the contracts. I didn't. Um, things like yeah. that. I'd imagine because although we are a little country, I'd imagine that they make still make quite a bit of of revenue out of the UK, uh, even though we are a oh, dot yeah. on the map. Well, I mean, if you know, the UK gaming market's probably one of the biggest individual gaming markets in the world. You know, so um, a significant, it will be a significant source of gaming revenue for both Microsoft and Activision, um, particularly Activision, you know, Call of Duty, etc. I imagine it makes up yeah. a, a fair percentage of, of their sales and microtransaction money and all of that from, from the UK. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a huge, huge market and, uh, a very important one, you know? So, um, yeah, but, but that's, that's why, and I mean, obviously when, when people are drafting those conditions, you know, they've obviously analyzed this from a competition perspective before they go to regulators and they get themselves comfortable that the deal will be approved. And so when they put those conditions in, you know, that they're confident that the deals will get approved because they've done the analysis themselves on a fairly objective, as far as can be, basis. Um, but sometimes, like NVIDIA and ARM and others, like there's just no accounting for, you know, the views of a regulator sometimes. They can they can think of things that you maybe haven't considered or come at it from a different perspective and, you know, and then, and then uh, ask for certain things that you can't deliver, so... Yeah, that's it's just really interesting. I didn't obviously uh, when you were on Midweek Gaming the other week, I didn't, I didn't, I forgot to ask that kind of question. So that was that was a good question, Centurion. That was because you do hear a lot of podcasters go. Uh, a lot of them only think they a lot since the CMAs came out. Before that, all you'd ever hear to do with the deal on on sorry to say American podcasts uh, was FTC, FTC, FTC. That's all they ever said. And I was telling people, you do know that's the easiest hurdle, don't you? Like, what? I was like, well, CMA and EU are harder. Maybe eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, I remember yeah. when I would try to be in a group of Xbox enthusiasts and everybody's over here wanting to throw high fives and, you know, like, yeah, this is going to be the best thing ever. And it's like, all right, all right, all right, calm down because like you don't understand how big of an uphill battle and a roller coaster ride this is going to be for everybody involved especially the companies that have a foot and have a horse in the race but us as us as fans we shouldn't just start like high-fiving and expecting this to actually happen because these are some of the uphill battles that i was trying to warn people were going to take place and let's just say i got a couple boos from the crowd oh you will Because, um, I mean, all the uphill battles they've got, I still think the deal's going to happen. I still think it will go through. I think Microsoft will probably uh, make the assurances Luke was talking about, and I think it will all be sweet, but we'll have to wait and see <coughs> on that front. We will, because I know Luke wants the deal to pass because he wants more games in Game Pass, don't you, Luke? I do. You do. Yeah, yeah. I've got... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I would, uh, I would like it to. 
um, because as you say, at the end of it, you get more stuff in Game Pass, which is which is good for me because uh, that's the perspective I'm not going to get it from. Um, but uh, yeah, and I, I look personally, I'm still pretty confident it will go through. I mean, Phase Two is not a good place to be, just generally. Um, not because the CMA end up blocking a lot of stuff necessarily in phase two, but typically the cadence you see is that when something goes to phase two in the UK, um, it has pretty high deal mortality worldwide. So it, it tends to indicate that regulators also see it as causing some problems across the world. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not a good place to be, but deals still do go through. Um, they might have some conditionality on them or have to, you know, someone has to give some undertakings, but, uh, it does happen. So, um, yeah, but I'm sure, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty certain that, you know, Microsoft, Activision lawyers, et cetera, council would have, would have known about this, would have been pretty confident it was going to go to this, this position. Uh, I'd be surprised if they didn't. So would, um, I know this probably isn't, do the EU keep a close eye on what the cma are doing or doesn't it won't have no effect on them to say i know cma were to block it would the yeah. eu try and follow no they just go their own way um i mean they probably would uh typically all these are regulators are in contact with each other um particularly the biggest ones like the eu and the uk and the ftc yeah. um so they tend to kind of for the most part be aligned in their approach and their views. Um, obviously, they're all reviewing the merger at a different cadence from each other. You know, they're in different positions in their review, but they will keep in contact. So, um, if the UK blocks something, then typically, yeah, the EU would probably follow suit and vice versa. You know, so um, if, just so because they're analysing from the same the same principles. So, if the CMA passed it, the EU probably pass it, and the rest would pass it, probably. Yeah, probably. Maybe. Yeah. Yep, I think it's a fair assumption. Now, okay. here's a good. Or you go ahead, Stubbs. Didn't mean no, no. I'll be back in just one minute. Okay, you carry on. I got me earbuds in. So here's a good question. Um, I like how somebody said it on TXR that with Jim Ryan's recent comments about you know him not being very enthusiastic about the the deal that microsoft offered them back in january about trying to at, give them at least three years of guaranteed content past the time that they already have that's on contract which is anywhere from five to they have about two to three years left on contract and then they have three years uh, on top of that from what microsoft offered them would you say it was probably maybe a little bit of a gamble on jim ryan's part um, to make the comments he did, hoping that regulators side with him and give him a better deal. Because what if that backfires and regulators are like, no, there's, there's the competition is very healthy in the market and Call of Duty is not this great, glorious thing, like you say. Uh, do I think that that would have an impact on regulators? No. Uh, no, I, I mean, don't. But I was going to say, I mean, like, would you say it was more of a gamble on a gamble from that? No, not in that sense. I mean, if you just think about this, well, I'll talk about the regulator element, but think about it from the perspective of Jim Ryan at the time. He was offered um, some weird agreement. I don't even know quite how Microsoft would have drafted that. But anyway, he was offered something by Microsoft back in, it was January. It was confirmed to be January, wasn't it? 
um, about the future of Call of Duty. Now, the merger itself was only announced in January, right? So there is no way any reasonable commercial decision maker would be able to digest the impacts of, you know, one huge you know, partner, really, because Sony and Activision are partners, like in the same way Microsoft and Activision are partners before the merger. There's yeah. no way that Sony could analyze that in, let's say, a week and a half, two weeks, and really think about the long-term impact of uh, this merger going through on their business in terms of Call of Duty, what that would mean for their gamers, other franchises as well, what it would mean for the relationship between Activision and Blizzard. So really, my opinion is that that was a very quick front from Microsoft to say that they'd offered something to, you know, kind of assuage fears down the line. That was my view of it. Um, and then I guess on the regulator side, the regulators don't care what Jim Ryan has to say in that sense. If Microsoft say we'll offer, you know, we want to offer you Sony uh, some assurances or some agreement once the agree uh, once the uh, merger is closed um, to keep Call of Duty on your platform for a certain amount of time or to give you certain, you know, uh, negotiating rights in respect of our licenses or whatever they want to offer. The CMA and other regulators, not just the CMA, they don't care about that because all they want is ultimately, and when you drill down to it, is what impact does this have on consumers and what do we, the regulators, want Microsoft to do? So it's not really about what Jim Ryan wants us, what Sony wants, or any other interested party. It's about what the CMA and other regulators think should be the outcome at the end of this all, um, noting that their ultimate kind of look is at competition, rivalry in the market, consumers, etc. So it's not really a gamble for Jim because one, no business person in their right mind, no commercial decision maker in their right mind would just accept that not knowing the full context, not having run any analysis on this, you know, this coming relatively out of the blue, um, you know, a week, two weeks later after the announcement. And two regulators, again, don't care what interested parties want specifically. They, they of course, care about um, the impact on certain interested parties in terms of rivalry and competition and what it means for them. Um, But they have in their own mind what they think will be acceptable and that's for microsoft to give to the cma and other regulators well they're they're in it to protect competition in the market they're not in it to protect one company or another they're just wanting to yeah. make sure that somebody isn't it got a stranglehold on the on the yeah. market um and that's where it's also the other thing like everybody seems to want to go with this this concept that gaming is a luxury product gaming is an entertainment market so you can't regulate regulate it like you know as heavily as people think you can't but the big situation is is the main thing that regulators are really taking a look at is we all know that the digital market the concept of buying your games digitally is something that microsoft tried to introduce in the early 2000s but it didn't really kind of start becoming something that became mainstream until about, you know, like the, like 2013, 2014, that people became more comfortable with the concept of buying the games digitally. So the market is still fairly young when you're looking at the digital market. And that's where more along the line, at least when you read regulators and what they're really wanting to look at is the digital 
the digital market ecosystems. They're not looking at it as like, oh, this is just an expendable amount of income for somebody to have enjoyment in their life. This, these are emerging markets that are, that are actually fairly new to people and avenues of making money. And so they're watching them very closely. I kind of get that right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, that, that, that's right. You know, I, I think, yeah, I guess, I guess I see where people are coming from to some extent when they talk about, you know, things like gaming is a luxury market. So why, why do people, you know, why do regulators care? so much but it doesn't matter the market right the regulators are bound to investigate um mergers and acquisitions in particular um that occur in any given market regardless of if that's a luxury market you know a luxury sector like gaming is um or whether that's in something you know like pharmaceuticals or uh, energy or anything that's more integral to people's day-to-day -day lives than gaming is um if your merger of whatever industry you know hits the thresholds um under you know the uk competition law then the cma have to step in they have jurisdiction to so uh, they won't just go well pff, no one cares about that because you know it's only for rich people or or uh, people who have a lot of expendable income they will just they will just look at it they will analyze it because that's what they're they're duty bound to do um and obviously you know gaming especially is uh, more you know digital gaming the digital gaming space is a particularly emerging market so it's kind of right around the time where actually the competition concerns there are far more uh, prudent because it may have a an impact on the future of that market when it actually kind of explodes properly you know because i don't mean we're there yet um so yeah i think that's you know it's a sensible sensible approach to take you make it back stubs yeah i'm back now all right you make yeah you've, you've, you've been you've been uh asking some good questions you have well, that's, I'm um, not wanting to go at this it, from the perspective of like, oh, I want Microsoft to kill everything. I want them to own it all. No. Because <laughs> when you think about it, like as you were saying, after the pre the pre-existing contract and the new extending contract, when do you think about it? I might be wrong. I think you're talking about PS PS6 and the next the next Xbox is coming around by that time. Yeah, yeah, most likely. I think so. By the time that the contracts are ended. That's everything be, I hear is the P yeah. like it's basically so Sony's guaranteed Call of Duty for the rest of the the life of the PS5, but I I, I just still have to I find it hard to to believe in a world that Call of Duty is able to still generate the same amount of money and revenue with it being exclusive on the Xbox platform. And that has nothing to do with me being an Xbox fan. That has everything to look at. Let's look at PlayStation. Over 100 million sold, and their best exclusives still only have around a 15 to 20% adoption rate. I, I don't see exclusive working for at least the call of duty brand i'm not going to sit here and say that crash bandicoot can't be exclusive or spyro the dragon or or maybe even tony hawk's pro skater but when it comes to call of duty specifically i just don't see a world where that game could be as profitable being an exclusive for the microsoft ecosystem 
Well, Microsoft yeah. backed your statement and they've actually came out and said that um, if they were to make it exclusive, the game wouldn't be profitable. It's only profitable through multiplayer. Well, if we and also go off of some of the, the comments made off of, uh, oh my God, I forget the guy's name. It wasn't Matt Booty. It was actually one of the guys for marketing over at Xbox or something like that. He actually said that they want to actually expand the reach of Call of Duty and probably bring it to platforms like the Nintendo Switch and the Steam Deck. That that doesn't mm. that doesn't sound like they're going down the road of exclusivity at all. Did you, did you say that on purpose, knowing that Luke's got a Steam Deck? No, oh, no, I just go <laughs> off of what I hear because it's like they those yeah. were the two platforms that were mentioned. Uh, but I forget the guy's name. Um, if I, I if I heard it, I'd be like, "That's the guy." But he, when the whole deal came out and they were announcing the whole thing earlier this year, he was one of the individuals from Microsoft that came out and said that they were actually looking to expand the reach of Call of Duty, not start yeah. restricting it. Yeah, they they need yeah. to because uh, Call of Duty now. There was some talk. I was in the podcast on Sunday in the, in the podcast chat. I wasn't on the podcast. I was in the podcast chat. Xbox. Uh, Good morning, Xbox. Uh, on Axel's channel, and a lot of people were disagreeing with me. I because I said nothing's rivaled Call of Duty, and then I got Fortnite has. I said yes, but it says what I mean is nothing's rivaled it in the yearly, annual, even, even, even every two years. Actual game we've got to buy, nothing's rivaled it. Fortnite has in numbers, etc., they're worth a fortune, but in the actual you know, the game you buy each year, nothing's rivaled it. It's, a, it's, it's that marketing campaign, it is. It, it's a beast because I used to buy Call of Duty every year, and the stock because I used to buy it, I would get in the hype train, fucking let's get it, you know, all the adverts and that. I'd play it. Because I I used I used to just play multiplayer, and I'd fucking drop it within about three weeks. Fucking bastard campers, you fucking, you know what I mean? <laughs> but I would get hyped into that into that into that PR machine. It, people underestimate. Cool. A lot of average gamers uh, still play. Just a lot of them do just play Call of Duty. It's a big marketing. It, it's big. And you will bring over, obviously, if this deal ever goes through, you will bring over some. But for somebody who just pays COD, having to play 120 quid a year or however much it is in the 120 quid a year, I think, in the UK, over that year, 10.99 a month, it currently is, I think, um, isn't a big sell if you've got, oh, I'm paying £120, I'm only going to play COD. I've got to buy a new. I've got to buy a different console. So you'll you will grab some. You will grab some. But I've seen people saying, "Oh well, <clears throat> if this goes through, it's game over. Everyone's going to switch from the PlayStation to Xbox. It's not going to happen. It takes an entire generation for things like that to happen. It takes a long time. See, it's basically off your social circle because it's like when I had the Xbox 360. All my mates are playing 360s, right? We got the Xbox One. Right, and at the start of the generation, I'm one of them people. I was hyped. I was fucking hyped. I got the Xbox One. In my opinion, there weren't no fucking games. Right, we played COD. We didn't like it, so we all got rid of our fucking Xbox Ones. 
and then I, I got a crappy PC. Don't ask me why. It was it wasn't a gaming PC. I thought it was. Didn't know what I was talking about. Got it's only two of two or three hundred quid. You know, mistake I made. And then we all jumped over to the PS4s uh, playing Call of Duty. It's quite often the way you're influenced is by your social. Search. So if your friends are all playing on PlayStation, you do. So if your friends all switch to Xbox, generally you're switched to Xbox. That's how it works sometimes. I don't know if I'm wrong with some people. So some that it's so. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of we're kind of like going down a, I guess a double concept here. So, at least when it comes to, uh, there's no game that rivals Call of Duty. I would like to say that there has been some really good attempts. There is some ones that would consider like, no matter what, when you bring up Call of Duty and when you say there is no rival, there is other names that will come up in the conversation. Uh, the like no matter who you are like in gaming whether you game on a phone a console or a pc the word fortnite is always on the tip of your tongue yeah we do know about some of the other players in the market like uh <clears throat> the battlefields and the battlefronts there's nothing on that scale per se of call of duty but i can't go down the realm that that call of duty has no competitors at all because we've all seen Call of Duty actually tried to duplicate the the Fortnite concept of oh, no yeah. no yeah. no story. Um, basically, we all remember uh, Call of Duty Black Ops Three. No story campaign yeah. whatsoever. They tried. Black Ops, they, was it Black Ops Four? Black Ops Four. Maybe it was Black That's Ops Four. Yeah. I know it was one of the Black Ops. Yeah. They tried to almost copy. Rainbow Six Siege to go with the concept of well, we just want to make a multiplayer focused game with no story. Rainbow Six Siege got to be a big game, but definitely it wasn't no barn burner. So I don't understand why they thought they could do that with Call of Duty. And then they were like, oh, we're sorry, we're sorry. And the next Call of Duty that came out, I think it was Cold War, um, came out with a story campaign because everybody was really upset that there was no story campaign as part of Call of Duty. But along with Cold War, they it was like they basically birthed Cold War into the world because they're like, all right, there's your single-player campaign with some of your usual uh, multiplayer. But it seems like it's almost like if the powers to be at Activision right now, and we're talking about the current leadership at Activision, not what could happen at Microsoft. If you look at what they're like, if they had their way, they would just have everybody go play Warzone and the yearly title thing would be a like in the coffin done deal. Like, I mean, they, they would just rather, I refer to it as have the Fortnite money where you literally put just skins and other microtransaction hell into a battle royale concept. No storyline, no longer having to figure out concepts of the game. And just just try to generate money like the the Grand Theft Autos and the Fortnites and the other games as a service like Apex Legends, um, without having to ha like pay out all these hundreds of millions of dollars to different development studios across the industry. Um, so I, I want to say that even Call of Duty has tried to emulate some of their own competitions concepts, and that's where I'm just curious. It's like how long can call of duty remain king 
considering I do feel that there is a little bit of burnout on the market. Um, and then you bring up the concept of like, you're affected by your social circles. It, it at least what I think, at least one of the things for, I, I like, I'm pretty sure Microsoft is going to have some stipulations of their own when it comes to the Activision deal and keeping call of duty on networks like PlayStation. And that's where I feel like, obviously PlayStation is going to get what they want, but also Microsoft is probably going to get what they want. And basically saying, well, quit with your BS uh, crossplay tax. Quit charging developers a fine for wanting to enable crossplay. Um, Microsoft is hell-bent on breaking down those barriers. And it just seems like Sony wants to keep that barrier up. We only want PlayStation players interacting with PlayStation players where Microsoft wants it to be no matter what platform you're on, PC, console, um, PlayStation, or Xbox, those barriers don't hinder your ability to have a good time with people that you see as your friends. Now, when I mentioned social circles, I was speaking on my experience when I was younger. I oh, don't no, know I, to, no, I know yeah. my social circle helps me, like, I'll be flat out truthful and upfront. One of the main reasons why I went with Xbox during the Xbox one generation was because I'm sorry, I'm not trying to label everybody this way, but this is just from my interactions on PSN. But the people on PSN that I interacted with were total assholes. Like I know there's good, decent people out there, but at least my experiences on PSN were pretty crazy. It was like the wild, wild West on there. Um, and that was playing games like Resistance, The Fall of Man over on the PS3. And from my experiences on the PS3, uh, I, I invested into the Xbox ecosystem during the Xbox 360 era. And that's pretty much been my go-to place when it comes to online multiplayer because I just I feel the, the ecosystem is just a little bit more tolerable. And I also hate to say it. I just, I think it's way better. I think it's a little bit more better policed. So have you got any thoughts on this, Luke? Because obviously the Xbox 360 days in Turin were pretty wild. They were. Oh yeah. No, they were pretty wild. No, Xbox has gotten a lot more stricter for sure over the years. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, like in terms of, I think you're right in the social circle does kind of or it's it's certainly well potentially it depends on what kind of gamer you are right but if you're a multiplayer gamer in, in particular um then your friends that you play with you know you're influenced by where they are um yeah. i'd say that's less and less nowadays to some extent because of cross play which i think is a great thing for the industry um because it kind of stops that that old principle where you know Every, all of your friends migrated over to X platform and you, you had to go to X platform if you wanted to play with them. Um, that, you know, the big games now allow for cross-play across multiple div devices, different consoles, etc. So right. it's not as determinative a factor anymore, but it's, it still has some influence. I mean, certainly, you know, um, when I was on, you know, because I'm original Xbox guy, right? So yeah. I got an yeah. Xbox like two months after it launched, basically, I was an Xbox Live beta tester, um, you know, when I was a kid, essentially. And I kind of made a lot of friends online from that. My, you know, IRL friends didn't really have Xboxes. Um, 
but they eventually start to get them. But, you know, when I went and got a 360, the big factor was because so everybody I knew online had, had gone over to the 360 at that time. And then I guess as I started moving away from multiplayer, uh, uh, multiplayer games, you know, they weren't quite as influential to me as they were. Um, I kind of just, you know, obviously started playing on other platforms like PlayStation and PC and, you know, Nintendo consoles, etc. So for me, it doesn't have any influence where people play. But I think for people who do kind of just get their console set up for Call of Duty and FIFA, I guess kind of going forward, it was influential in moving people away from those platforms wherever the social circle goes. You know what I mean? Um because even on Warzone, that's that's cross-play now, right? So uh, I don't know about the base Call of Duty games, but certainly Warzone is. So yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting, and um, obviously it's it's something that CMA will have to kind of analyze as well if they go to phase two of what impact will you know if Microsoft just turned around tomorrow and said Call of Duty and all like division games are exclusive forever, what actual realistic impact does that have on people migrating away from PlayStation. Um, I'd say doing something like that for Call of Duty probably would have an impact, but it's hard. It's as you said, stuff. It's kind of hard to tell. You don't, you don't know. And certainly, you know, if even if Microsoft, you know, kept Call of Duty on PlayStation forever, uh, not that they can commit to that, but let's just say internally that that's what they wanted to do. Um, but it was on Game Pass, as you say. I agree. You know, I think that would move some people away, but I don't think it would move the big casual audience of Call of Duty away because, it, you know, they're not, they'd just probably be happy sitting with all their friends playing, you know, paying 70 quid for Call of Duty and then not buying any other game for the year. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that's what those type of people, I know several of those type of people, in, you know, personally who just, you know, in the UK, they buy two games, they buy Call of Duty and they buy FIFA and that's it. I used to work, I used to work with some people who used to, used to buy, uh, used to buy FIFA every year and I said to him, what's different this year then? What do you mean? Yeah. And, he, and he'd give me a list of things. He said, but does it look the same on the screen? Well, yeah, but they've made these enhanced improvements and you tell me, so it's worth the money. Yes. Why you can't know what's you different is the guy changed the number on his jersey. <laughs> they got caught. They got. What game was it? The EA made a game where they forgot to change the number in the stadium. Uh, that was, was FIFA. It, it, no, was it was one Madden. of the other ones. It was one Madden, of Madden. Yeah. It was like Madden 2020. It was like Madden. No, it was Madden 2021. <laughs> and you could go out in the stands and find Madden 2020 signs and Madden <sighs> 2019 signs. And the, the developer came back. There. So the developer came back and was like, oh, those are supposed to be there. Um, they're celebrating no. past Madden games. And it's like, no, you forgot to change them. <laughs> I can't believe it did that. Goodness. Do you reckon that, Luke? Hey, laziness. And the same, and the well, same funny yeah. part is, is Madden and FIFA are made by the same company. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, this is, this is EA who for the past however many years, three years or something, have made the annual annual fifa uh editions for the nintendo switch the um what are they called legacy editions or something like that um where the game the base game features etc is exactly the same as i think fifa 19 or 20 um but all they've done is change the rosters you know they've updated teams etc who's in the premier league who's not blah 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 um, but other than that, it's identical 
to the prior games, no gameplay enhancements, no visual enhancements, nothing, no mode enhancements. Uh, and they still charge, you know, 40 quid for that, for a roster update, essentially. So doesn't surprise me. Yeah, no, it's... Because uh, I used to be in that cycle where, where I used to buy COD every year. And I, eventually I broke the cycle. I've not bought COD in years. I haven't. This year, The one this year looks quite good, though, but I'm still 70 quid. Come on. I, 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 I don't know. Do you know what I mean? It looks good, but 70 quid, I'm not sure if I'll play it enough, you see. Um, but that's the way the industry's moving. It is. But I'll tell you what, I, I've got a topic here. I think Luke knows what I'm about to mention. I don't know if Centurion's uh, been following the news, but uh, you know how... Uh, say I'll just come out of it, Centurion. Bonnie Ross is leaving is leaving 343 Industries. She says for family medical reasons. Yeah, it, look, yeah. it looks very, it looks interesting, but oh, you've seen it, are you? Okay. Oh, I've seen, I've seen it. Yeah. Oh, trust. Oh, dude, I'm part of a, I'm part of some very crafty DMs. I mean, like, I know one well, guy. The minute any kind of news hits social media, it's like in the DM. Uh, as a Halo fan, Luke as well. What do you reckon to this? Then it's quite big news for mm-hmm. a, for a Halo fan like yourself. It is. Yeah, I, I think. Um... I think it's interesting, you know, uh, I think she mentioned that or, or the inference from her statement was that she was planning to step down in the near future, but that she kind of accelerated that process because of a family medical issue. And I think, you you know, you have to take all of these statements on face value. You have to believe what they're saying. And I do. Um, obviously, you know, there's, there's been... <laughs> There's been a significant amount of kind of criticism from the community about free for free. I think it's pretty much all warranted, um, at least in terms of, you know, their failure to kind of really do substantive updates on a regular cases to Hello Infinite, which is meant to be a live service game. And certainly, you know, I played it a lot. I'm, a, as everybody knows, I'm a huge Halo fan from the beginning oh. of the franchise. Um, and it and it has been really disappointing. You know, it's it's it. I don't play it that regularly now. I still go back to it from time to time. But if if you're losing people like me on the game, then you're losing others like me. Um, so I think this is interesting. Uh, what I thought was interesting from it is it's actually promoted free people to uh, take over elements of her role, which probably suggests that she was doing way too much for one person. Um, and I think, you know, I, I've never really agreed with people kind of pinning blame on the likes of Bonnie Ross, because, you know, Bonnie Ross wasn't a production manager, you know, she's not the kind of head individuals in free for free kind of actually helping the production line develop content etc i think there are clearly issues with potentially those people although it might be others in free for free like we don't we don't know because we don't have enough information on it um but she seemed super well respected and well liked so i doubt that it was her per se causing a lot of these issues even though obviously as kind of head of the studio as it were she has to she has to and, and did absorb some blame for it um but yeah i think people you know saying good riddance or whatever doing comments like that's just you know kind of nasty and unhelpful um because we we don't have circumstances around 
free for freeze development and you know i think it's very presumptive to just put that on body ross's doorstep and or to think there's some grander conspiracy behind her you know her resignation i don't think there is i just think maybe after 15 years she decided right you know i'm ready to do something new and also now i've got to kind of leave quicker because of a family issue you know um other developers have done it over the past couple of years so um yeah uh, you know we'll see what comes out of it i guess maybe it, it will result in some positive changes for free for free but who knows how deeply rooted the problems are in that company at the moment so yeah it's um thing is it's like obviously she's she's worked there 15 years now and she probably thought you know it's time to move on to a new challenge but there's um what's it called obviously due to uh, medical reasons of a family member but obviously there's you don't know how that that company operates it may not have uh, company culture may have been too ingrained i, I don't know what to say about free for free I don't like to mention it a lot. I just thought I'd mention it because it's quite big news and you're like a Halo fan, you are. And um, there might be some big changes at 343. Um, I, I I, don't... I wouldn't... I don't know what you can do for that studio. I, I really I really don't. I, mean, I, I do see the vision they're, um, they're going for. But it's like they've got a lot of staff, and they've got another company, uh, Certain Affinity, helping them. I mean, what they've got like six, seven hundred, eight hundred staff with them two companies. I mean, Activision Blizzard. Let's uh, get them off COD and get them on Halo. <laughs> Sorry, that was a joke, but I could see it happening. If the deal went through, right, lad, right, devs, come on, sort three, four, three out. Come on, get in there, sort the game out. Now that's a joke, but they could. Yeah, well, I think, uh, yeah, they need to do something. I think I don't know what that is, um, but it's it's it. Whatever whatever they're doing at the minute is not working. So you know whether that's whether the, I mean. They must, they must be working on some substantial things, right? Because as you say, Free for Free themselves are a huge studio in terms of permanent developers. Really big. At least 500 people. See, um, see here's, here's my gripe. And I don't know anything about development. I just watch documentaries. They all use this news initiative called Project Health. So even if everyone was having holiday and mental health breaks, etc., You'd still have quite a few devs left, wouldn't you? You would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, I agree. You know, I think, um, look, I never want them to be in a position where they're having to kind of break developer spirits to actually get content out quickly. No, no, they don't do that. But, but as you say, you know, this is a, they are a really, really big studio. Um, and they have, and, and, you know, if you think about when you actually look at them, and then look at the size, uh, look at the contributions they've made to, you know, um, Infinite since it's come out, you know, a couple of maps here and there. Uh, well, basically, what, two new maps since it's been released? I don't, I don't know. I'll believe, I'll believe um, you. So I think two new maps, uh, and then there's there's more on the way. 
how, how is it possible that a studio that big has only made two new maps in that time? I don't, like, I fundamentally don't understand it. And part of that might be because I don't comprehend how difficult that process can be. But it just seems that when other developers are able to push content, you know, very quickly for their games out the door, and Free for Free can't, and then not only can they not do that, but they have to keep delaying timescales or giving vague timescales, pushing stuff back, extending seasons, etc. If they have to start doing that, clearly something is happening that's not right. Um, and especially for a studio of their size, uh, not even taking into account things like Certain Affinity, you know, working with them. Uh, they'll have a bunch of outsourcing as well. It's just weird. You know, it's just like a really weird situation that's, it's a halo fun. It's not a particularly great situation to look at. I mean, you look at like um, the coalition, right? With gears, we'll get the gears mentioned in for stubs, but look how, look how quickly they can kind of turn gears games. You know, they can release it. I I know it will be, um, you know, the next one's far away, but there's obvious reasons for that. You know, they're migrating to UE5. They're trying to do like new things with that engine. They're kind of basically the kind of the arbiter of that engine, as it were, you know, that they will be doing some pretty spectacular stuff with it. So, um, but, but before they were getting games out pretty quickly and with a bunch of content from day one, all your modes in there, day one, tons of multiplayer maps and they always delivered a pretty regular cadence of multiplayer maps despite the fact that they're a smaller developer than 343 are in terms of numbers so well, at least they were back then but i see what you're saying and coalition are in my opinion a better studio than 343 industries but when it comes to multiplayer that's where coalition quite often got it wrong the monetization well, methods and the maps and what they were doing with the community it, yeah, see, see sure. What, what, see, see what gets me is with coalition. It's weird because Halo's got the bigger fan base, but sadly, Gears has never managed to grab that big multiplayer base before. Uh, do you know what I mean? That Halo's got yeah. it, they can't seem to manage it. Co- uh, Gears would love the big player base, but it's because the problem is with Gears is it's a very high skill gap. You've got idiots like me running around with a shotgun. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When, when, when I do play it. But, yeah, I can see what you mean. Just, yeah, uh, but my point wasn't really around if they were doing what's, you know, best for the community because the, oh, yeah. everyone will everyone will always debate that, right, whether I'm the decision of the problem, of Yeah, well, but, like, if you ignore that and just think about content, purely about content, whether that's good or oh, bad content, oh, yeah. there's more, you know, and it's delivered more regularly by the coalition so not now now, but that's after a number of years supporting it you know moving on to the next project i mean infinite's supposed to be a at least a 10-year plan right so um yeah i look i I don't i don't know what's happening free or free um it needs to change clearly um but you know they've not i you know i really felt like this game would be the game they nailed because I think for most people, everybody thought the same thing, kind of generally speaking, which was that, you know, Halo 4, great campaign, multiplayer wasn't that good. Halo 5, not a very good campaign, but multiplayer was was really good. And it was the time to kind of deliver both. And I guess in a way they did, 
because the underlying campaign of Infinite's pretty good. I don't think it's as good as Halo 4, actually, but it's it's pretty good. Um, and the multiplayer is excellent, just in terms of, you know, the base that they offered. But it could have been so much more at launch um, and could be so much more now in both cases. Um, but it isn't. And maybe it will be one day, but I think, you know, unfortunately for them, they've pretty much lost the majority of players now. And you're not absent doing a Final Fantasy fourteen thing where you try and relaunch the game. Um, I don't think they're getting them back. So uh, the only the only thing that will help, I think, at least initially boost numbers pretty in a pretty rapid way, um, will be whatever the Battle Royale thing that certain affinity are making. Um, that could get people back in. But whether they'll stay there or not is again depending on on content cadence. So, yeah, that's fair enough. Centurion, have you got a have you got any thoughts about Bonnie Ross leaving? And yeah. uh, the three four three. Did you still play Halo? I dude, I never got back into Halo. Like for me, my Halo days, my golden days of Halo were back in Halo Three, and I'll I'll be upfront. I'm. You know, the, I do have people that play Halo, but I literally will say in my social circle, not a whole bunch of people are playing Halo. So I'm not I'm not there playing it as much as I probably should be being an Xbox fan. But maybe that's just because, um, you know, my, my taste in games has really evolved since Halo 3. And I'm like playing anything and everything. And I mean, like... That's one of the reasons why I went back to Destiny is because Destiny is a really good snappy shooter. And I guess I feel like I'm getting my my shooter, my shooter, uh, you know, Jones from playing Destiny. Um, when it comes to the situation with Bonnie Ross, um, for starters, I don't know her management style. I don't know if everything that's going on is a result of bonnie ross not being able to manage properly um i at least try to play devil's advocate because i'm always nobody like like who i don't know i'm not going to speak for everybody but at least I, i hope that people don't go to work with the mindset of i'm gonna suck at work today yes that's my goal i'm just gonna suck at work um, I, I really do that believe that Bonnie Ross probably tried to the best of her abilities. Um, now, whether or not she was the right person for the job, that could probably be up for a very good debate. But I also want to say that Bonnie Ross was handed a very big challenge. Um, so when the development for Halo Infinite came out, um, we were in the Xbox One era. The Xbox One X was just being launched. Um, that I think it was like 2017 when, when we saw the first trailer for Halo Infinite, if I'm right. I could be wrong. Um, and we also saw that they were making a new game engine. So now we have the development of a game engine on top of the development of a game. And then Bonnie Ross made the comments of, you know, there's always going to be co-op and all this other stuff that everybody hung on to. Um, and that's one of the reasons why everybody's upset is because the split, the split screen co-op was supposed to be there. Then they couldn't get it working. And now it's not going to be there at all, even though that Bonnie Ross said it would be. But when she made those comments, that was during the Xbox one generation with probably the mindset that 
we're going to make a game for the Xbox One. And then it turned into the Xbox Series family, the Series S and the Series X. And Microsoft took the stance. No gamer left behind. We don't, we want cross-platform compatibility and we want somebody, whether they own the original 2013 Xbox One or the brand spanking new Xbox Series X, we want them to be able to play together and have these experiences. And that was a very huge undertaking because now we're developing a game for PC, Xbox One, Xbox One S, Xbox One X, Series S, Series X. You know, there's, there's a lot of platforms there. Um, and then to really compound the difficulty is like, so this is where I'm not trying to be mean. Um, this is just me being blunt that a little bit of the issues with Halo can be a little self-inflicted by the community. Um, and it starts with that E3 showing where they showed Craig and we allowed the PlayStation community and other toxic communities to use a screen capture of a game character of a game that wasn't even this, like not at any time did the guys say, Hey, this is the final product. But for some reason it was treated as if this was what the game was going to look like. And it got a lot of bad PR. Um, a lot of people got up in arms and as a result of it, we saw them get rid of a few people. A couple of people resign. Uh, I believe Joseph Staten is his name, got involved, and they brought him back into the fold to help kind of correct the ship. So there was some, I guess you would say, self-inflicted delays because of just the reaction from the, the community. Now, that's where I'm trying to say is, if the community is going to come out and say that they don't appreciate the way the product looks, functions, and all this other stuff in between, it, you can't come out and say, we want you to fix A, B, C, D, and E, and it still needs to come out on time. Well, if you want us to make all these corrections, there has to be delays. There has to be a little bit of give. Um, and that's where they did delay the game for one year. I really do think that these developers tried as hard as they could but like, I'm not going to stand by and say that 343 is this great, talented um, group of developers and they're the right ones for the job. Maybe they're the right ones for the job for a linear shooter game similar to Halo games of the past. But we're talking about Halo Infinite, an open world game uh, that has a games as a service in the background, especially when it comes to the, the multiplayer and the idea of delivering single-player expansions over the next, uh, like, I think you said, Luke, that they want to make the game viable for 10 years. So now we're seeing some of the echoes of, like, what happened over at BioWare with Anthem. We took a developer that is really awesome at doing a certain style of game, and, you know, the, whether it was Microsoft's idea or 343's idea, Somebody wanted to try something new with the Halo franchise and it probably bit them in the ass. And that's where I just stand by. People should be allowed to fail without being burned at the cross. You know, we've all been we've all grown up with that that mantra that was given to us by the people we surround ourselves with. Oh, should I try this? Oh, what's 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 the what least that what's the worst that's going to happen? You fail. You just pick yourself up and you try again. 
But for some reason in gaming, if you try something new and you F that up, you all of a sudden become the community's worst enemy and you are like the town pariah. Like you, like you suck. You can't do this. You can't do that. Uh, you, you really shouldn't be in gaming. You, you really screwed this up. And it's like, dude, they tried. They tried something new. It didn't come out to fruition the way everybody thought it would. There's been a lot of hiccups as the situation from it. I do believe that people deserve the ability to fail at something without having them being martyred. Um, and that, and that's where um, I really don't want to say that, you know, good riddance on Bonnie Ross. Maybe she was pretty stretched in. I like how Luke said it, you know, three, it's going to take three people to take her place. Now, whether that was because she was overworked or stretched thin, but now we're going to have three people. That's, that's six set of eyes, six set of ears uh, to take in all the problems that are going on uh, over at 343 and to potentially correct some of the issues. And one guy can be in charge of the multiplayer side of it. Another one can be in charge of the store side of it. And the third person can be working over here on story expansions and quality of life improvements for the main campaign. You know, the whole idea of divide and conquer. Um, and you know, that gives to some echoes of what Matt Booty said, especially with uh game development today, is most of your triple A experiences are being done by multiple studios. It's not just all being done in-house by one studio anymore. Um, and maybe that's the same mantra that they're trying to follow with management is maybe we shouldn't just have one person entire in charge of an entire project. Maybe we should have like a group of people that can come together. And when one person has a roadblock, the other two are there to help them get over that hurdle. Um, you know, this could be the breath of fresh air that three, four, three needed and the halo infinite game needs to possibly kind of stabilize it. But I really do think at this point, the business mind and me is they just need to stabilize halo infinite. And they need to just take the ball and realize that they that this did not work out the way it was supposed to. And that maybe it's time to start concerning ourselves with the open world aspect of Halo did not work out the way we wanted it to. It's time to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, definitely agree with you. Some good thoughts there on Halo. There is. It's um, it's always a. Have you ever found a podcast that's ever hundred percent positive about Halo? I've, I feel kind of sorry for the game as well at the same time. I do because, as you say, it's not an easy thing to to manage a, a game or developer, or especially a developer of that size. It's it's a difficult one to actually know the full story on. It is. Three four three, and maybe as probably Luke may agree as well, one day this will make a cool documentary. You never know; they might reveal it one yeah. day. Well, we had a documentary on the evolution of the Xbox, which highlight which highlighted the shortcomings of designing the X, the original Xbox. Um, they they went into detail on what really happened with the Xbox 360 and the Red Ring of Death. And Microsoft even made a poster celebrating the Red Ring of Death. And everybody wants to sit there and be like, oh, it's so effed up that they're celebrating stuff like that. Like, look, 
when you knock something out of the park and you just like, yeah, that's right. We did it right the first time. You you didn't. It's a learning experience, but the best learning experiences you could ever have in your life or when you fail or you just have those big mistakes that bite you in the butt. That's when you really see the evolution of a human being, the evolution of an industry, the evolution of a product is because a huge mistake was made. Something that really, really affected how that product functioned, looked or, or was even delivered to the consumer. And that's when you really see great learning experiences take place. So Microsoft, I think is I think it's really cool that Microsoft celebrated some of the, the trips and falls that they've had developing the Xbox brand because they've come out as a stronger brand as a result of those mistakes. Yeah, it's very interesting. It is. And yeah, one day, they uh, Xbox may make a documentary on 343 because it would be interesting and and maybe if initiative ever made a, ever made a game they might make one on them too they might who knows if they're ever going to make a game oh the initiative yeah we'll, we'll see if a game ever comes out from them why just you because know? the the stu like that was one of the studios that matt booty was commenting on um if we go off of what matt booty says like i know everybody's not going to air out their dirty laundry but it seems like businesses as usual over at the initiative, um, you yeah, know, I know it's... See, that's the only thing. Like if we look at what it is, like a lot of the developers that left were because they weren't liking the management style of David Gallagher. And you know what the funny part is? There is people out there that just cannot handle working with a guy that does not have any room for slack. You can't come in and say, well, I think this would be a great concept if we put this in the game. Look, I don't care what you think would be a great concept to put in the game. I told you what I'm looking for in the game. Go do the damn job you were hired for and quit trying to be innovative. Just do what you were told. And that comes off as kind of the style of Jason Staten. He, he knows what he wants and he doesn't seem like a very flexible guy, but also at the same time, I don't think a developer needs to come in and say, I had this good idea for a game that involves a strong female character role when David Gallagher and Crystal Dynamics both have a large pedigree in creating a game franchise that is centered around a strong female role. Tomb Raider. Very true. Uh, Corey Barlog helped, by the way, at the same time. When right. that game was successful, Corey Barlog was there. When Corey Barlog left that studio... The games declined because see, I played have, them all. Have, I just didn't really. A, I didn't find anything wrong with them. No one about success rate, successful as in sales, etc. Um, Corey, the problem is Crystal Dynamics has a different. They're not like normal studios. But then, because it there's there's been a lot of talk about it. Although you had positions of power, etc., everyone just chipped in and helped. There was no. But from what I gather, the initiative, it's Crystal Dynamics basically making Perfect Dark. I don't know what initiative. Or, I, I don't believe a lot of what Matt Booty says half the time. Well, the initiative, is, the initiative is only about 100 people. 
Yeah. You know, we, we like, so we, and we're talking about a hundred of some of the more talented individuals in gaming. And I like, I'm pretty like, let's look at a game like Anthem, even though we want to bring, like, we don't want to talk about Anthem. Um, that game, if I'm right, spent like four years in the concept and pre-production phase and then they built it in like two. Um, we do know that games can spend an awful lot of time in a conceptual in a conceptual form during the first phase of the game design. Um, and then like really, you know, what are, we're talking about them wanting to take uh, the concept of perfect dark, um, a rogue, uh, not even a rogue, but a, a female spy in a futuristic world. Uh, which is almost very like back in the day, Perfect Dark was basically held right next to 007 Goldeneye, which is, you know, still to this day, got a large fan base for being a Nintendo 64 title. There is a large fan base out there that would love to see that game remastered and and put on consoles for people to go back and experience Goldeneye, Goldeneye from the Nintendo 64. Um, and like... I feel like they know that they have some big shoes to fill when it comes to the concept of perfect dark. Uh, and also where do you go? Like you obviously, we all know how the entertainment industry works. What problems are you going to interject in today? You know, there's probably going to be jokes and, and a dialogue along the lines yeah. of, of Joanna dark being looked at lesser than her, her male counterparts because that that's echoes of what's going on today. And then there's probably going to be some interjection of some of the world situations that go on today uh, in the game, even though it's still taking place in the future. Or how do we even know that they're even going to do the future? What if they, they do perfect dark uh, in today's world, in today's time? But we're also talking about technically a game where one of the more comic relief characters was the alien named Elvis. Are we going to reintroduce the game with an alien with an alien concept? In other words, are these are we going to be are we going to acknowledge aliens or are we just going to keep this game totally grounded and on today's problems in today's world and not try to make it absolutely super sci fi? Um, I'm pretty sure this game is going to go through a long concept phase, which is why we're probably not going to see very much. But at the same time. I think that at least Microsoft is learning to let the developers dictate when things are shown for games. We saw this recently with turn 10 and fable Matt booty wanted to come out and show things about fable and turn 10 won't allow him to do that. Yeah. And that was the developer. That, yeah. I don't, the problem is I think what you've got there is you've got Matt booty wants to prove to community that Xbox are actually making games. And, Mm. Matt Booty seems like very much like a PR guy, spinning all the PR. He's hype train. I don't think, I don't think Fable's anywhere near ready. I think you might get that game with halfway through the gen, maybe at the end of the generation. I don't think. I think that game's a long way off. But who? I don't know no, about development. But but that, then, that's again, where... then again, then again, two, and it's like initiative. It is difficult, as Luke will probably guess as well. 
that um, it is hard to start a studio from scratch and work out. And the problem is when you keep making big hires, personalities will clash. Developers oh, will yeah. clash. And that, I bet you that's what they're having a lot of problems with. You know, but that, that's, that's where I thing. think people should be allowed to fail. Um, <clears throat> and that's where, like, when we really bring up Fable, I think it's really awesome and amazing that a development studio that has been known for racing games, very big, beautiful racing games, wanted to do the undertaking of taking on a beloved RPG that was literally just sitting somewhere gathering dust as a franchise. That they would the fable was at a standpoint, it did not exist in any form during the gen eight the gen eight consoles because we were supposed to get fable legends and that completely fell through. So during the entire Xbox one generation, we did not receive one fable game. I think it's really awesome that not only do the, does this developer believe they have the confidence to do this, but they also had the confidence to take a game that was beloved by the fans and want to try to do the game some justice. And that's where I think it's really also cool that there is X Lionhead developers over at Turn 10 helping build this game. Some of the same people that worked on Fable Legends and some of the same of the original Fable games are over at Turn 10. They're just working under a different, a different employer. And that's where I just do believe that, yeah, like I really do believe that Fable is probably going to have a long development cycle, but that's just because there's going to be some growing pains involved. And that's because this developer is known for doing racing games, but they have the confidence in themselves to pull this off. And I want to give them all the time they need to do it right. I'm never going to be... The, the the actual fanboy in the room where I feel that I need to somehow hold the proverbial gun or threaten to send a photo of my twig and berries to the developer to demand something out of the developer. Yeah. That's uh, fair enough. That is. Luke, have you got any thoughts on that? On um... I bored him. You there, Luke? Yeah, no. Sorry. Sleep. So <laughs> now I was listening. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, yeah, I think, uh, look, like I think a centurion said, um, you know, fails to be made by a developer that um, has only ever made racing games, right? And uh, obviously, Playground have opened a, a new studio to make to make um, an RPG, um, which will turn out to be Fable. Um, but that takes time. It takes time to build a studio or a you know separate um, development team within the same studio to make that game. Um, there's clearly been some engine. I wouldn't. I don't want to say issues, but you know, originally when they were advertising for recruitment for that game, it was UE4. Um, but at some point they switched to Forza Tech. So they're using that for their, you know, for, for everything seemingly, which is a pretty big undertaking because obviously you're, you're trying to do things in an engine that's been scripted entirely for racing games and, and now apply it to, a, you know, a third person RPG, presumably. Um, so I think that's probably one of the things that set them back a bit. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I mean, I think, look, if any development team can make something good of Fable, I think it's Playground. You know, they've pretty much one of the most consistently high quality studios in the industry uh, in terms of the games they release. Um, but uh, it will take time. I think you're probably right, Stubbs, in that it's going to take a while for that game to launch, which I'm fine with. You know, I don't have a particular issue with that, but I think I have more have the issue with how early that game was announced, if that's the case. Um, yeah. Because we've had nothing on it for years, so that's a bit frustrating, I guess, from a fan perspective. Exactly, because I think what, what they had a problem with, they had a problem with... Oh, Luke's dropped out. He'll be back in a minute, I presume. Um, what they had a problem with is, obviously, when you've got a Series X, you've got to show promise and hope for the future of what a roadmap would be. And then once they showed that, they had to drop back to which games realistically would be coming out in the near future. So they had to switch tacks, they did. Luke's device is not connected. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, you shouldn't really, yeah. That's kind of on the level of when PlayStation announced, God, what's that game, Centurion? Can't think of it. It was announced 10 years before it actually came out. Oh, it kept appearing at E3 year after year with a few seconds more I'd added each year. Oh, I can't, it wasn't, I can't think of what the game was called, but I'm not saying Fable's going to take 10 years, but that, that, Luke probably might know that game. What, Luke, what's that game that PlayStation announced years ago? It was like mm-hmm. 10 years early and it kept appearing at every E3. Ah, oh. um, I think big monster in it, like a yeah, big dragon that, thing. The last, Guardian. the last guardian, the last guardian, that one. Yeah, kept adding like a few seconds each year. Well, it, actually, the it, problem the problem with that was the yeah. problem with that one was that they announced it and they showed quite a bit of it, and then I think they showed maybe a bit more than XD three, and then it went dark for, for oh, like okay. seven years or something. Ridic- I remember it was a ridiculous amount of time until it reemerged. Again, and then it actually released a year later after that. Um, yeah, I really love I that game saying, as well. I think you missed it. I was just saying that the way like you were saying it got announced too early was the way that I think they had to, at the Xbox Series X, they probably had to show hope and promise in the roadmap for the yeah. future. And then they're obviously now, they're going for games that are not long away. So I think they were yeah. trying to win, yeah. win people over for the future, but equally it is annoying to find out Oh, that game's not coming out for a long time. It is. Yeah, it's it's always frustrating when games are announced too early, um, and then you know you, you're waiting, not even so much a long time for them to uh, be released, but more just a long time to see more on them. You know, especially when they're announced with a CG trailer, because it's just like, well, it's kind of just nothing. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't mind of- it. It was kind of like what VJ thought it was. He thought it was. Uh, he said that Fable trailer was nothing more than. He probably he's probably right. He said it's a trailer you use to try and get a game a game green lit because it didn't show you anything. It just showed you the mm. world well, and loads of animals and stuff. Trailers can also be right. used as a tactic to to hire developers. Yep, yeah, that too. Yeah, for sure. And, it, and, it and I suspect worked. that's probably what it was. Yeah, it's probably what it was. It was, you know, infancy of Playground actually developing it and 
wanting to kind of reveal it to the world and start staffing up a bit. Um, yeah, so I, it's it's one of those. I mean, I always find it interesting with Playground that you know, by all accounts, they didn't they weren't making a Fable game originally. You know, they were they were pitching for um, a third person action adventure game, um, and nobody would take the pitch probably because you know, I, you know IPs are risky, etc. Um, but apparently, it was Microsoft that said, "Well, we're not too sure about the new IP, but we have a great IP that we think this kind of template could be molded onto, which is Fable." Um, and you know, fair play to Playground for for taking that and going, "Yeah, I think we can make a great a great game out of it." Obviously, you know, they kind of have that British link, you know, which is yeah. kind of integral to Fable, etc. So, you know, I'm, they've clearly their new studios. Um, successful, at least in terms of the people it's recruited, they've got great premises, etc. So um, we'll have to wait and see what it's like. But I do have, I do have quite a lot of confidence that they'll make a good game because they've never made a bad one. So uh, there's always a chance, of course. Um, but um, I'm, I'm pretty confident with them. Yeah, no, that's nice to hear. That is, it's, uh, it is. I don't even know what we were talking about to get onto all that studio talk. This is what we happens on plastic Bonnie. platforms. We were talking about Bonnie Ross when we started. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. This is what this is what happens on Roundtable Gaming as well. We start somewhere, right? We end up somewhere else. But it's good talk. Now, do you care if I ask Luke a question that kind of goes back to our first conversation? Because I didn't, I completely forgot to ask it. Yeah, you can ask him it. Yeah. Um, your experience, obviously, dealing with competition authorities and stuff like that. Everybody likes to bring it up, and since Jim Ryan's uh, comments about, you know, like, I want to look out for our gamers and the quality that our gamers deserve, do you think at least it's a it's a point for Microsoft to argue with any comp- competition authority on how Sony has used the tactic of using money to exclusively gatekeep games, content, and other forms of of gaming entertainment off of other platforms and now subscription services, basically in themselves hindering competition by willing to just basically give somebody a little bit of extra money. Um, Also, the concept of taking like Marvel characters, characters that for all intended purposes, Sony did not create did not create Spider-Man. That was Stan Lee. That was Sony in the right place at the right time uh, with Sony Pictures that made that purchase to get Spider-Man. And PlayStation has benefited a lot from that purchase. Um, but at any time, basically, Sony took an established uh, multicultural character and basically started locking him down to platforms that were that are basically exclusively encircled around Sony. Um, and that's where I'm like, can can what some of the things Sony and PlayStation have done when it comes to the the, the game of exclusivity come back to bite them in the ass during these times? Um, it's quite a multi-layered question. I mean, I guess... Um... I don't. I don't Is it think a strong so. Reason for argument for on Microsoft side to say, you know, if you're wanting to bring up the concept of exclusiveness, let's talk about what Sony's been doing with exclusiveness over the past 20, 30 years plus. It's it's certainly an argument Microsoft can make uh, for sure. 
Um, but I guess the key difference, as I think the CMA would see it, is that, well, there's multiple reasons, but one, the kind of Sony exclusivity stuff, so exclu- let's just take exclusive games in general, um, and exclusive content, because that's been around just as long, really. Um, that is pretty commonplace to the gaming market amongst all competitors in one form or another, whether your game is exclusive to a particular subscription platform or whether it is exclusive to a particular console or something like that. And the way that regulators would typically see that is just the market being the market, right? Because Sony, yes, they have these blocking rights sort of things. They operate in, they clearly operate in their publishing um, in their marketing, sorry, in their marketing agreements, because that's where this first came from was the, was the Capcom one. Um, but you, you know, publishers, developers, etc., are not forced to take those deals. So um, the CMA and other regulators won't be particularly bothered about that because you know they do prevent things from appearing on other platforms. But is that bad for consumers? I'd say regulators probably won't see it as particularly bad because it's so commonplace but even in the industry but even where that has occurred you still had blossoming competition so i think the regulators try and delineate things like call of duty from that trove because call of duty is so influential as a as a game across the industry right um, there's no doubt that that does attract people to a platform. Um, and most of that is perpetuating social circles, et cetera, wherever you've played it. But it kind of operates in that bucket of games in the same way as, as Minecraft was like that back in the day. And, you know, there are other, other games like that as well. But, um, so I don't, I don't, I mean, certainly Microsoft could levy that argument, but I don't think it would hold much water with regulators because that's not what they're, that's not, it's not that the idea of exclusivity in principle that they're against. It's the effect of exclusivity of mega franchises like Call of Duty. Um, you know, if Sony pay, you know, Square Enix some money to make, you know, Final Fantasy exclusive. Final Fantasy is a big franchise, don't get me wrong, but it's no way. I mean, it's not even comparable to Call of Duty or something like that. You know, Spider-Man exclusive content. It's not. It's not really a big deal. I mean, I guess it, sure it sucks if you're on another platform, but you know, that's that's the nature of exclusivity, isn't it? Like it's it's meant to attract people to your platform, and um, I think that that I don't think regulators think there's something inherently wrong in that, but they do have an issue clearly with franchises that, that they think could skew competition, and I think Call of Duty is probably one of the only franchises that you could theoretically argue could skew competition. Not that I necessarily agree with that, but I think it's arguable, right? It's something that someone could make a conceivable argument of, so. Not really. Thanks for answering that. I'm just curious, because, I mean, Sony has built a legacy on on the exclusive thing, and, like, I think it's really interesting now that we're over here talking about anti-competitiveness, where we just recently saw that Sony is so big and and powerful in their own minds that they were able to, to come out and raise the price of the PS five two years after its launch, claiming that it's inflation and, and distribution and also the cost of materials 
And then not even a few days later, it comes out that they redesigned the PS5 using less materials. Um, and so it's more like, are you guys just artificially inflating the price of the console because you feel that you're just too big to fail? Well, I think that was more than trying to protect profit margins, right? Um, because no doubt, you know, costs have gone up regardless of if the, of whether the fact that you're using less material, I'm sure the material cost is still higher than it was. So, and I, by the way, I don't agree with them doing it. I think it sucks and it's shit. Um, but <laughs> I think that's what they're like. I think they even mentioned actually in something to investors that the reason, the primary reason for the price increase was because cost of materials and supply had gone up and because of the, the, the yen was performing quite poorly at the moment. So there was kind of um, currency-related issues related to that. Um, so I think that's why. But I don't, again, that's not really anti-competitive behavior. Um, it's anti-consumer only in a very narrow definition of that word, in that it's something that adversely affects consumers. But so do many decisions of many game makers in the industry, you know, raising the increase of the raising the price of games does but most publishers have done that now so anti-consumer does not mean anti-competitive i think is a and and just and something anti-consumer is not necessarily um illegal or some standard that we should just stop you know it'd be great if everybody didn't do things that uh didn't necessarily directly benefit consumers um but that just doesn't happen right i mean it's just price increases happen i don't think it was particularly egregious price increase even though it's a shit one uh, at a bad time um so yeah and and obviously from a consumer level you know you can just you don't have to buy a playstation 5 right you can go out and get something else so you can get one right. well <laughs> you can get and, one second hand but and, ugh, right. i guess and, it probably be more and that's where i feel like playstation is trying to pass the blame on to well if they get call of duty people are going to stop buying playstations no they're not they're going to stop buying playstations because you guys have changed the business model for yourselves you're you're worried more about profits than you are about the the potential harm you can cause your brand your brand um and i say that towards the concept of who gives a shit that nintendo builds a console at a profit Nintendo is the biggest rogue in the gaming industry. They have some of the largest adoption rates for their first party content. They are able to make a profit on their console. But as a result of that profit margin, we all see some of the limitations of the Nintendo console. You can't go out and watch Netflix on that thing on the Switch. You can't go out and have really an absolute enjoyable experience playing online the the online network is completely restrictive you need to give people these special friend codes to even have them and then you got to use your some kind of app on your phone to be able to interact with people in a party chat manner it's very rudimentary compared to the bigger consoles the playstation and the xbox but for some reason it, it like we see playstation starting to make the whole well, nintendo does it dude you aren't nintendo your competition is not Nintendo. Your competition is Xbox. And the funny part is your two competitors, Xbox and Nintendo, 
have both come out and said they're not going to raise the price of consoles. They also don't Xbox especially has no problem building a console at a break even point because they understand the concept of getting the consumer into the ecosystem is above profits because you can make profits on the back end through offering services and digital products and other things on the side to help float the loss that you could potentially take on the console. And for some reason, Sony wants to flip the script and try to go down the road of Nintendo because they just came out a few months ago stating that even before the price hike, they were making $50 in profit on every PlayStation being sold. Okay, now all of a sudden you guys were losing that profit. You know, the cost of materials went up and you started to break even and then you you still wanted that profit. It just seems like Sony is forgetting that they that they have to compete in the market they're in. And they're now going to try to start playing the blame game that, oh, well, if they get Call of Duty, it's going to affect consumers choice in console. No, the way you're conducting yourself is going to affect that. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, sure. I, I agree to that with that, to some extent, as you say, like, you know, that them. Uh, well, <laughs> the price increase is a funny one because they even came out and said that they don't expect any um, any real impact to the console sale for, forecast that they've given from that. And obviously that's something that they run pretty close. So I think that's really interesting. That it shows you where the demand is for the console. Um, but if they kept doing decisions like that, then for sure that would turn that would turn people some people off. Like there are people that always will just kind of support the console, support the decisions of Sony um, anyway. Um, but you know, I, I, it is you know it, it's a difficult it's a difficult analysis to run and a difficult question to answer. But really, regulators aren't you know they're not. I think people think that regulators look at kind of all of these disparate factors of look at the price of games and look at price increases to consoles and exclusivity deals, etc. And that's not the remit that they're looking at, right? It's a very specific remit. Um, it's a merger it's a merger and uh, acquisition of Activision Blizzard into Microsoft. And it's the impact of that on the really the primary rivalry uh, that exists in the console industry, at least, uh, which is Sony and Microsoft. And ultimately, how does that impact consumers down the line? And it's a bunch of hypotheticals that regulators have to come up with, you know, in terms of long-term impact, et cetera, because they, they don't have a crystal ball, right? They can't predict the future. They just have to make the best assessment they can. Um, and uh, and that's that's what they're looking at. And the other stuff, like the other things that go on in the industry, you know, they don't really care unless it impacts on the kind of decision they're making vis-a-vis -vis this acquisition. So, um, yeah, it's a difficult one. But, I, you know, I, I agree that I think that there are things Sony could do, like any platform holder, and perhaps they're doing some of them now, that will, for some people, you know, turn them off. Uh, the brand more than Call of Duty moving to Microsoft would on an exclusive basis, right, worst-case scenario. Um, for sure, there are those things. Just just in the same way that there are things Microsoft or, or Nintendo could, well, maybe not Nintendo. They can seemingly survive everything, but like you know, they can release you know Wind Waker five times across different generations, and it still sells loads of money. Uh, still sells loads of copies. So I, I got um, blown away when I found out that Zelda Breath of the Wild has a hundred and two percent attach rate. 
I'm like, so you're telling me yeah. people went out and bought multiple copies of this thing? Yeah, I think it's uh, yeah, I think it's dropped off now. But it had some, it had it's totally correct in that it had some ridiculous over you know 100% install base attach rate, uh, which as you say was literally must have been people buying multiple copies, which I just don't I don't really understand. Um, but there you go. Um, yeah, I mean that look, the, Nintendo, Nintendo, like the, the the Switch is portable. You don't need to put one in every room. Yeah, yeah you don't need one for <laughs> home and one for yeah. No, um, it's just weird, isn't it? Uh, um, but there we go. Uh, that's Nintendo are on their own island, and they, I think they always will be. I mean, it's great if you're Nintendo, you just kind of sit back and watch all of this crap fly across the screen. You know, you don't you don't care because they're just not reliant on Activision Blizzard franchises at all for any of their stuff. So, no, it's um, good. It is, but yeah, that was a good good conversation. That was, but I'll just um, everyone, if you there's a state of play tomorrow. Luke sent me a message saying there's a. Oh, there There's is. a state state there play is, yeah. happening tomorrow night, 11 p.m. Yeah. UK time. I'm 11 sure. Same. Wait, that you, means that's you, eight o'clock my time. Eastern. Yes. No way. Yeah. Six p.m. No. Are you Eastern? No, I'm. I, oh no, I'm in Arizona. I we live no. on our own time. <laughs> we don't even partic- participate in daylight savings. Uh, there's no way. If it's 11 p.m. for you guys. Yeah. I'm seven out. You guys are seven hours ahead of me. So no, I take that back. You damn seven. Like, so 11, that's like five, six o'clock in the morning for me. Yeah. I ain't getting up that early for that. Well, yeah. I'll well, be using it on midweek gaming. It's crazy. It's a, a Nintendo direct and a state of play in the same day. I don't think I've ever seen that before. Um, you know what? What's it called? Um, I see Nintendo post about that and they've, they've, you know, because obviously the Queen's passed away in the UK. And they've put out of respect, they're not going to do a proper live stream. They're going to put the video up and premiere it, which is what they do anyway. It's really weird why they, they worded it that way. Yeah, so basically that <laughs> it's, it's such a stupid idea because I get the intent behind it, but it doesn't work because if I'm in the UK... And Nintendo, you know, the UK Nintendo channel isn't putting out a live stream yeah. uh, at the re- at whatever time it airs in the US, right? It doesn't matter because I can still watch the stream live just by going to the US Nintendo channel. So nice. the whole, oh, well, we're, we're not broadcasting it live because of, you know, the Queen's passing. Um, it just, it's almost entirely pointless to say that because I mean, you can just. Enough. I mean, if it was on the this coming Monday, uh, this this coming Monday on the day of a funeral, then yeah, maybe that's different. different. Yeah, yeah, but it's but it's not, and it's a think. I think it's like it airs at a certain time in the US and everywhere, and then I think they said something like thirty minutes or an hour later they'll premiere, they'll just drop it on the UK channel. So like. Just watch the American YouTube. Just watch the American one. Just like nobody's nobody's going to wait for that in the UK because you know people are desperate for Nintendo news. So, but yes, so they're, they're both tomorrow. Um, interestingly, not a PlayStation showcase. Um, usually in September, they you know they don't call them state of plays. They specifically say they're PlayStation showcases, oh. which is uh, kind of the the bigger event, as it were. Um, so it's 11 p.m. your time, 3 p.m. Pacific. So that means it would be four o'clock my time. So I'll just have to watch it when it comes home, when I come home. Um, and yeah. I also think, like, see, now I'm getting DM'd on Twitter. 
Um, I the I think it's interesting that you just said that a lot of the new game uh, the the industry has switched to seventy dollar games. Um, uh, it came out. Stefan Totello just said that Ubisoft's uh, main executive yeah, over it. there that their their new games are going to seventy dollars for the big triple eight titles. Yeah. Yes. The way this is going. It is. But anyway, it has been a great show, and thanks, Luke, for coming on and answering. You're very welcome. Uh, some, some questions and giving us more clarification, so we can all learn. It was. Uh, I'm sure you enjoyed it as well, Centurion. You got, got some great questions in there. You did. Well, just I. I'm glad we were able to have this conversation, and hopefully, everybody was happy with some of the stuff we talked about again it it wasn't trying to be like oh this is this is the facts this was just sitting down with having a conversation with somebody who at least exists in the world of business acquisitions and dealing with uh regulators on this level and just being able to just you know shoot the shit and just bounce ideas off of each other absolutely yeah so luke uh, thanks for coming on it was great to have you on Feels like you you kind of podcast with me every week now. I know it's uh, <laughs> so I still haven't got those uh, those those invoices paid stubs. Just waiting, know, for, <laughs> waiting for them. Uh, you know, my hourly charge out rate is is pretty high. So uh, I, you know, there's going to be a mega bull. <laughs> you I mean, being a lawyer, I would totally screw around with having stubs served. Just have somebody show <laughs> yeah. up at his door, serve like, what the hell is this? Yeah, I might just actually drop him a <laughs> fake invoice and just be like, here you go. This is, I might, I might go back, Stubbs, and I'll tot up all the hours that I've done on one of your podcasts, and I'll see how much that would have cost you in real life. Um, I would have been thought that I'm broke. Here in the states, yeah. to have a lawyer type up a letter for me, I think they wanted like five hundred bucks just to type up a letter. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't surprise wow. me at all. <laughs> But yeah, thanks for coming on, Luke. And uh, do, you want to tell people, do, you, do you want to tell people where they can find you? If you're part of the Green Pass Gaming Crew and Indie Podcast. Yeah, I'll just keep it simple because you'll find all the other information on my Twitter or related things. So just, just go and follow my Twitter, at LukeSteel90, uh, and there you will you will see other things that I do. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And he's part of Roundtable Gaming as well. Before oh, BMG, yes, before BMG corrects us, he listen on the replay. He will. We will get one. We will get it sorted this month. Just pinning indie gamer down to say when he can come on. That's what I'm waiting for. I am as a busy, busy month, and for you as well. Anyway, Centurion, it's been nice to do another one. It has. Uh, it's nice to have a Luke on. Oh yeah, no. De- thank you, Luke, for being here. Uh, thank you to everybody in the oh, chat. Welcome. You know that tuned in. Friendly Pest, Dreadpool, UK Daz, um, Invader Gaming. It was good to see everybody here. Um, definitely had a blast. Had a really great conversation. Um, I do enjoy these little combos that we have. Um, it definitely uh, something to look forward to every other Monday. Uh, for those interested in finding me, you can find me over on Centurion One Three Zero Seven. Uh, YouTube, Xbox Live, Twitter, all the fun stuff like that. Uh, you can also find me over on the TXR podcast every Sunday night. You can find me on Gaming Beyond the Box every Wednesday night. And I also hear every month, every other Monday with Stubbs. Yeah, it's definitely true. And you can find me at Stubbs Gaming um, on this channel again. 
uh, on Midweek Gaming on Wednesdays, 9pm uh, BST, 4pm EST. And the next podcast for this will be, hang on, two weeks' time on Centurion's channel. But you can also check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more services. Please drop a follow and an Apple review, a five-star Spotify review, if you feel like we've earned it. But yes, um, also I'll be on Stasis Chat, which would be on Monday, but we've rescheduled it to Tuesday at 10pm. I'm respected the Queen's free more, obviously. We have, um, but yeah, thanks, guys. It's been uh, it's been it's been good to do another podcast. I'm podcasting every Monday now. I am between Stasis Chat and Plastic Platforms. I I, I do every Monday and every Wednesday now. I do. I need to start playing some games. Podcast too much. You gotta learn how to play <laughs> games while you podcast. Yeah, my setup's not like that. But I can imagine Luke's playing something in the background. He just won't tell you. Never. I don't think I've ever done that. Really? Oh, yeah, no, legit. Never never done oh, it. Never done it. Full you attention. Play, you can't play anything serious. Like you wanted to like if I get like get to the point where I'm I'm was wanting to listen to all the conversation take place, it's like uh I have a farming game. So I'm literally just like, I'm like harvesting wheat. I'm like, that's the only thing I'm not over here. I'm not over here playing some big like experience where there's like a lot of in-depth thinking. I'm just like, I'm just harvesting. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> I meant little games, Luke. I didn't mean no big. I mean, nope. I mean, never. But anyway, anyway, thanks for coming on and we'll see everyone in two weeks time. See ya. Later.